everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc, that's hashtag Talk with a Doc, for a chance to hear your questions in our episodes. Well, today I'm joined by Dr. Vern Sabo, a chiropractic physician with Sabo Chiropractic Clinic in Albany, Oregon, and we are answering your questions about using chiropractic care for a drug-free opioid treatment program. So, uh, Dr. Sabo, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this line of work. Well, uh, I, I grew up in Albany, and my father was a chiropractic physician, as was his brother and my uncle, Dr. Marlo Sabo, and they were uh, very instrumental in, in, in prompting my interest. Uh, growing up, um, I gravitated towards the health classes and the science classes, especially the study of muscles and joints, uh, going back to when I was just a small child in grade school and so forth. And that's the, the things that always seemed to interest me. And then my uncle and my father influenced me a great deal uh, later on in years uh, to get into uh, the profession. Well, let's talk about that profession, because I think a lot of people, when they hear chiropractor, they think back or neck, but you actually treat basically the entire body soup to nuts. Can you talk to me a little bit about what chiropractic care means? Yeah, certainly. Uh, we treat more than just spine. We treat extremities, but uh, our forte is back and spinal pain. Uh, but um, Generally, the, the profession, uh, just like in medicine, you uh, go through some required undergraduate course studies. Uh, once that's completed, then uh, there's a the four-year doctor of chiropractic program. Uh, I went to Western States Chiropractic College, now the University of Western States. Uh, and uh, we are uh, deemed as chiropractic physicians in the state of Oregon. Um, we are first contact portal of entry physician types. Um, and um, there are subspecialties within the profession. Uh, uh, for instance, I uh, completed the three-year orthopedics program, the three-year neurology program, and the three-year forensic science program, board certified in all three of those subspecialties. And there's also uh, subspecialties in sports injury, radiology, uh, rehab, uh, and um, so forth. And so Beyond the four-year doctor of chiropractic program, the docs, uh, chiropractors can go on and and uh, continue their formal education and specialize. Well, you, I think, are one of the, I, I was telling somebody earlier, I've actually known you most of my life and have super respected you as, as a care provider. And I think one of the things I find most interesting is that you have continued your education. In fact, every time I see you, I look at your walls and I feel like there's another certificate, but I've seen forensic chiropractic on there. I know that you've been really key in legislation and governance in the field. Talk to me a little bit about kind of these these different areas that you've, you've spent your time on. Well, um, uh, as far as uh, uh, you're asking about the subspecialties, uh, orthopedics, yes. neurology, forensic, well, the first subspecialty was orthopedics. Um, I, I, I love continued learning and uh, sharpening my clinical skill sets so that uh, hopefully I have the answer for that particular patient. Uh, after that, um, neurology very much interested me. And so I entered into that three-year neurology program. And um, frankly, I, 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 I'm viewed as a specialist among my peers and I very much enjoy trying to figure out the more complicated cases. And so colleagues send me cases 
uh, colleagues in medicine send me cases uh, to uh, take a look and get a second opinion. Uh, is there something I'm missing? Is there something I could be doing treatment-wise that I'm not doing? Uh, is there further testing, lab testing, special imaging that uh, I should be uh, ordering uh, because of this, that, or the other uh, symptoms this patient has? And uh, so that that is one of the reasons I got into the subspecialty is because one, I like uh, to continue learning, but also to to be viewed as a specialist and, and to unravel some of those more difficult cases. I think it's so interesting that you you work on kind of every part of the body. And I always, I always tell people that I suffered from vertigo for a really long time and it never occurred to me to talk to you about it. And you asked me one time, how are you doing? And I said, well, except for the vertigo. And you said, tell me more about it. And I haven't had any issues since then. And I just think it's amazing that you can do a manipulation or you can treat one part of the body that impacts something that isn't necessarily considered a pain reliever type of a thing. I don't, I don't think people really know exactly what you guys do. Well, uh, that, that's, that's one of the uh, issues that we see a lot of when you talk about vertigo, uh, subjective, objective vertigo. The more common cause of that is an upper cervical joint muscle problem as opposed to inner ear or brain. And so um, that's just one type of condition that isn't pain, but is related to the, the, the spine, in this case, a cervical spine. Uh, and uh, so so there's we don't just treat pain, uh, but that's a, that's an example. Well, I think the topic today, though, is really a lot about pain, because one of the things we've seen is a drastic increase in these deaths of despair and and time lost for work for for all of these addictions and substance abuse that we're seeing. And opioids is is really at the center of that. So one of the things you've talked about is using chiropractic care to avoid opioid even being given and prescribed in the first place. So let's talk a little bit about your your thoughts and your work in that space. Well, back and spinal pain is one of the principal rationales for prescription of opioids in the first place. <clears throat> and um, chiropractic physicians, that's what we specialize in is the treatment of back and spinal pain, well, utilizing non-pharmaceutical interventions. And the principal intervention we use or known for is spinal manipulation, or what some lay folks refer to as cracking backs, uh, or popping backs, both uh, terms that uh, I don't really care for. We crack orichondentinous crabs. We don't crack backs, uh, and we don't pop backs. We pop popcorn. It's a very skillfully, artfully, scientifically applied thrusting procedure to uh, the area of the spine that has lost its normal mobility, and we generate a thrust and, and get normal, reestablish normal uh, function to that segment of the spine or extremity. Uh, and um, interestingly, uh, some of the concomitants of spinal manipulation is actually the, the release of encaphalins at the spinal cord, spinal cord level and, and endorphins, opioid-like substances in the brain that the body produces secondary to um, a, a joint cavitation, joint manipulation, because that stimulates certain nerves that go back and stimulate those neurologic pathways that then cause the release of those natural chemicals, uh, but we also have a mechanical um, uh, outcome for that manipulation, uh, including the breaking up of adhesion, scar tissue, microscopically within the um, interarticular, uh, interarticular 
uh, scar tissue, microscopic scar tissue, or periarticulate around the joint. And so there's a, there's a lot of effects biomechanical and neurologic of the spinal manipulation that cause a pain relief uh, for that patient and gets to the gets to the dysfunction. And what we've seen in, in the Agency for Healthcare Policy and Research back in 1994, and it's uh, guidelines for acute low back pain, specifically stated that um, the, the various pain medications reduce pain, but they do not restore function, joint function. And so chiropractic spinal manipulation both relieves pain and returns function to the joint. So for people then who have kind of this chronic pain, this is, is a potential alternative that maybe they hadn't considered. Or if they're just living mm -hmm. with it and trying to just deal with the pain or numb the pain, this is something that actually might get at the heart of the problem. Correct, correct. And, and in chronic pains, uh, there many times there is, um, there's associated problems in the muscle uh, beyond just the joint. For instance, uh, I, I treat a lot of folks that uh, have chronic pain uh, that have been dealing with for months, uh, even years, and one or two treatments gives them significant relief. And one of the very common non-joint issues are what are known as myofascial trigger points, hot, tender areas in the muscle, usually due to some type of trauma, uh, and uh, they can cause referred pain into an arm or leg, cause muscles to go into spasm. And uh, a uh, myofascial trigger point is simply where the blood vessels pierce the muscle near the surface of the skin to feed it with blood and nerve supply. And the little sensory nerve can get hyper-irritated, causes the muscles to get very tight. So the blood supply is somewhat restricted so it can't flush out the muscle metabolites of muscle work. And that little electrical wire gets painful and painful and more spasm, and then you'll get the referred pain that can mimic a pinched nerve root and peripheral neuropathy. And so we use different types of physiotherapies to uh, knock that out and exercise. The most beneficial therapy that I've found in 40 years is what we call pulse ultrasound in combination with negative galvanic electrical cur current, two therapies at once. And it really, eliminates those trigger points uh, very, very successfully. I hope you don't expect us to be able to spell any of the things that you just said. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so how would somebody know when chiropractic might be an option for them? Is it is it usually like right after an injury? Is it after years of trying to treat the injury? Does it really case by case vary? It varies case by case, but all of the above. Um, you know, many is the time you, you see in the, in the lay and uh, in the scientific journal articles that um, quote unquote, pain is self-limiting. Back pain can be more likely than not self-limiting. And we would counter by saying it would be of more benefit to get in immediately and one or two treatments can restore function, relieve the pain and prevent chronicity. So early on, <clears throat> as opposed to waiting weeks or even months to get in, you have a higher propensity for that condition becoming chronic as opposed to getting right in immediately. I think one of the things we hear from people a lot when it comes to chiropractic care is, do I have to go every week or every month? Is it, you know, is it something that I have to do the rest of my life? And I guess that that would probably vary too. But if that's one of the most common concerns, is there something you could say to alleviate that for people? Well, I, I would, I would say um, that, um, you know, uh, there is 
those in the profession suggest that uh, preventative chiropractic care every two weeks will uh, strengthen your immune system, prevent you from getting sick. And there is no large, well-designed, randomized controlled trials, epidemiological studies that validate that. So um, <clears throat> that's one of the things that I think is a little overstated. Uh, there are those who do have chronic conditions that if they don't get in and, and, and the type of job and work that they do, if they don't get in uh, every month or every two or three months, they get into trouble. That's a different scenario. They have a chronic issue. Uh, so, so I would say that um, uh, that is one of the critiques of the profession is that there are, it's like in spine surgery and there are always those that there's a small group that will that'll abuse uh, a situation um, and uh, suggest that everyone needs to get in every two weeks. And that's just simply not based in good sound science. So uh, my counter to that would be is um, get in as soon as the symptoms start. And there are those individuals who have chronic conditions that do have to get in periodically. And we keep them from having to get on the harmful drugs by that periodic uh, palliative care or supportive care. And even surgery, I think, you know, I, I, when I first started seeing you, they were saying that I was gonna have to have neck surgery and I'm years in and, and I haven't had to, and I would do anything to avoid a neck surgery. We'll talk with the docs, gonna take a quick break and we will be right back.
Let's get back to the conversation here on Talk with the Doc. Talk to me a little bit about um, the, the fancy words you used. I know that earlier we talked about the electromyography, or what? What does that mean for people who don't necessarily know? And and is this something new, or is it something that's been around a long time? Well, it, it electromyography has been around for a long time. Um, it's one of those things that has also been um, abused, um, and the uh, Dynarom. Uh, system that uh, I utilize is evidence-based. Uh, it's actually featured in one of the American Medical Association's guides for rating impairments, supplemental text on ranges of motion. And uh, it, it combines uh, electromyelography, documenting with electrodes, muscle activity, while at the same time, simultaneously, uh, with wireless inclinometers, these are instruments that are computerized at tell you degrees of motion of the patient, which you put on the patient, you have them bend forward, bend their head forward or bend at the waist if you're doing the lumbar range of motion, while at the same time registering muscle activity. And so it's not a treatment, but it's a diagnostic tool. Uh, and um, what the electromyelography captures is what we call the muscle guarding response. When there's true injury, muscle joint disc injury, uh, the body's natural uh, mechanisms will to be to, to try to wall off and, and protect that area. Muscle splinting are also known as muscle guarding, and you can't fake it. You can't make it do it. It's just a body's reflexogenic uh, uh, response to pain and dysfunction. Uh, and since we're talking about opioids, where this is beneficial is uh, we can have, uh, it can differentiate between individuals who by no fault of their own have become opioid dependent and believe they still have an issue. When in fact the underlying joint dysfunction, the underlying problem actually has resolved, but they've gotten into an addictive situation. This, this, this uh, device, this exam procedure will help to explain to them, well, you know, you don't have that problem anymore. We can start titrating you off those opioids uh, and many is a the time they're very thankful to know that. Now, I can't take them off opioids, but I can also work with their internists or their PCP to explain to them that, you know, really, uh, this person believes they still have an issue and they don't. And they have, they've just become, they've just gotten dependent on the opioids. So this ferrets that out. It's being used uh, significantly in the Veterans Administration uh, for this purpose. Uh, it's also a mechanism by way of, uh, objectifying injury you know, and, and many legal cases such as workers' comp, auto injuries, uh, and validating that they do have an injury or they do not really have an injury. Uh, it is uh, an objective tool to differentiate between um, 
something that is uh, real and something that is not. It's amazing to me that 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 you're doing this kind of work. And and I know that you're familiar with the Providence family. You've, you've worked with us, but is it pretty common now for chiropractors to work in conjunction with primary care physicians and say neurologists and that sort of thing to help people get through, through kind of what they're experiencing? Uh, very much so. Um, I uh, uh, work with um, uh, medical physicians, PCPs, neurologists uh, in the uh, local uh, communities here. I, I have, I would say, let's count about 125 medical physicians, uh, osteopathic physicians, nurse practitioners, and physicians assistants that send me cases. A lot of them are Oregon Health Plan patients through the local CCO. In my area, it's Samaritan IHN CCO. Uh, and um, we work very well together. And um, uh, they know that um, their patients will get the best. I send a chart note of my findings and what I did and what I proposed to do uh, with that patient. Uh, I try to send it out ex the same day to that referring physician, nurse practitioner, or a physician's assistant so they know what I found and what I'm doing and and so forth. Uh, and so, yeah, very much so. Uh, and um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been a very um, positive um, relationship in my local area. So people can be referred to you from a primary care physician, but most people also can just come to you directly, correct? Very much so, yeah. In fact, when it comes to the Medicaid, Oregon Health Plan, IHN, CCO, the CCO patients that are referred to me, uh, I, don't, I, I want the referring medical professional to send over that patient's medical most recent medical records of what's what their trouble is, what they've found and what's going on, as opposed to the patient just showing up on the doorstep. It allows me to go to school on that particular case before my consultation or meeting that patient to do a little better job. That's not always the case. Sometimes there's a disconnect uh, and, and they can't get to their PCP. Many times there's a waiting period and, and we'll go ahead and accept them and have come, come on in. But I prefer to have those medical records ahead of the patient so I can go to school on that particular case and, and do a better job. I have noticed more insurance companies seem to be covering chiropractic care. And I think we've even seen corporations offering chiropractors on site for their staff. And I'd, I'd love to say that it's very altruistic, but my gut check is that we're, we're probably seeing this as a way to keep people from being off work. Is that, I mean, do, do you see that that's part of the reason that it's become almost more everyday? Well, it, it, yeah, very much so. Um, the science has caught up to what we have known anecdotally for decades that what we do works. And uh, corporations, insurers are beginning to see that. Uh, and um, so, so that's part of it. The other part of it is uh, the Accountable Care Act, Obamacare, passed in uh, 2010 and fully implemented in 2014 has a, a section in it that is a provider non-discrimination section to where insurers and health plans cannot discriminate against any healthcare provider practice within their scope of license and certification under applicable state law. It was then U.S. Senator Tom Harkin uh, that we went to on the federal level that inserted that language, which was known as the Harkin Amendment. Uh, and then uh, in... Um, 2015 through House Bill 2468 and with the help of Governor uh, John Kitzhopper, uh, 
we inserted that non-discrimination language into Oregon state law. We were the first of only two states that were that accomplished that. And so that's part of it too. Well, I want to I want to come back kind of to the the opioid piece because I think we we have a lot of questions coming in on that, but it seems like taking a pill would be an easier option for someone to relieve their pain than necessarily going through treatment and coming in. And how do you convince a patient that this is going to be better for them in the long run? Well, uh, it's interesting that you asked that question because most of the patients, uh, interestingly, that come in prefer not to take the harmful medications. And that's just the opioids. Um, they intuitively and physically know that there's a consequence to taking many of these over-the-counter meds, uh, medication, pain medications, such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen. Many of them it causes gastric dis, uh, distress, and uh, uh, they know that it, they know that they are harmful, and they prefer not to take those if at all possible. Uh, and um, and so so it does take a lot of convincing. Uh, and uh, I explained to them, uh, however, uh, in consultation that uh, some of the downside, not just the opioids and addiction, but uh, that, uh, for instance, uh, acetaminophen brand name Tylenol is the leading cause of acute liver failure in this country. NSAIDs um, are uh, the second leading cause of peptic ulcers. That's a hundred thousand hospitalizations every year and about, uh, according to NIH, about 18,000 deaths per year. Uh, and so um, I'll review those things. Uh, and there and many of the other drugs, um, such as uh, gamma-pentin and others, uh, pregambulin, uh, have a consequence. Uh, and uh, I, I go through those with them and say, by the way, I see that you're, you know, this is something you need to understand that there's these um, adverse events associated with this medication. And most of them intuitively know that, you know, that they, they don't want to take them because of, they feel a little wacky when they're on that particular medication. Now, as a chiropractor, we don't prescribe, so I can't tell them to take it, you know, go get off of this or that medication. That's practicing medicine without a license. But I can certainly tell them the consequence of that medication. Uh, and um, But interestingly, the great majority of people that come through the door know all those things have a consequence, an adverse side effects to them. And they, and they, they all seem to want to avoid them. It's very rare that that's not the case. Well, when we knew that we were going to talk to you, we did some research. And one of the things I thought was interesting was that it said that people who saw a chiropractor were almost 65% less likely to use opioid for pain management. That's a really big number. When we look at this huge opioid, I would say, crisis that we're dealing with in America, why are more people not aware of this? Well, um, I, I, I think they're becoming aware. Uh, it's, it's becoming a big issue. Um, uh, of all issues, the opioid issue is is on everyone's radar screen now, and so uh, I think I think they're learning. Um, you know, we grew up in a society where you know pretty much you took a pill for everything, and we're starting to finally come out of that. I think uh, health and wellness, uh, eat well, move well, think well, um, and uh, it's it's starting to catch hold as far as wellness and preventing. Uh, 
some of the chronic degenerative diseases. So I, I think the public is, is starting to get it. Well, we should be demanding it. And I can't believe we're already out of time, but I'm going to give you a chance to, to wrap it up for us. What's the one takeaway you'd want our listeners to, to leave this, this uh, session with today? Well, when it comes to back and spinal pain, um, see your local chiropractor. There is no substitute. Sounds like a Porsche commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can attest to it. I think I think it's something that's that saved me a lot. Like I said, it saved me a surgery. It helped me with vertigo. It's something that I have really found to be very beneficial. And I know many members of my family have as well. So I would like to thank you for all the great work that you do. And thank you for your time today, Dr. Sabo. Thank you very much. Well, thank you to our expert for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening.